Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Chillin' in the State House, an aptly named podcast for the chilly cold weather we have right now. I'm Jason Alatid, one half of the State House uh, Bureau at the Topeka Capital Journal. I'm joined by Jack Harville. Hello, how are you guys doing? And we also have John Hanna of the Associated Press. Now, now Jason and Jack, what, what are your favorite cold metaphors? I mean... You know, my, my mentor in journalism used to talk about it being colder than a well digger's butt. Uh, and there are others, but they're not as, uh, they're, they're less They're not clean. as podcast friendly? They're not as podcast friendly. And I, you know, I guess a well digger's butt is cold because he's down deep in the ground. I, uh, I'd have to go with the, the great uh, Norm MacDonald. And one of his lines was, it's, uh, it's colder than a vampire's demeanor. <laughs> okay, we'll take that. I uh, don't have a favorite. Now I feel left out. <laughs> it's it's colder than Taylor Swift's views on one of her exes or her many of her exes. Mm. Well, colder than the Chiefs playoff game where uh, Patrick Mahomes' helmet cracked. Right? Yes, uh, that was quite the game. Yes, I yes. watched it from uh, Lubbock, Texas. Uh, went down there for the K-State game, and I did not expect West Texas to be so cold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is. It is cold, you, you, cold, cold. You know, think about my cold. Pipes, my pi- pipes at home froze, well, by your the pi- way. pipes froze, and we couldn't even use our water normally here in Topeka. Yeah, I've asked KDHE. I haven't gotten the answer yet. Is, is Topeka now the biggest city to ever have a boil water advisory in all my years of seeing these boil water advisories float across my computer. I don't think I've ever seen one for a city as big as Topeka. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, you're right. The KDHE sends out these press releases on boil water advisories. And I, like, look at where it is, be like, oh, that's not our coverage area and is a very small town. Yeah, usually they're small towns uh, or rural water districts, and there's some problem with the equipment or something like that, or, you know, there's an algae bloom on the creek or whatever. Yeah, you can read more at the Topeka Capital Journal about the, I believe it was a crack, the cold crack, the PVC pipe that the chlorine gas was in. Ah. Uh, And that meant that here at the State House. uh, they no had ice signs cubes. telling you, wash your hands, please, but after you do, use you, hand sanitizer. Yes. And there was a sign on the ice machine uh, that had a grammatical error, was corrected, <laughs> but then they also made wrong a uh, correct part of that sign. Ah, uh, yes. No English majors then. Yeah. Uh, 
So anyway, speaking of cold, let's let's talk about the reception that the governor is giving the flat tax that the Republicans have passed. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. It's not a flat tax. It's a single rate tax. It's not flat because one of the rates supposedly is zero. And, and, and even they will say it's technically not even a single rate because you do have people paying none. So right, zero. but but pointing, I'll, I'll point this out. Um, if 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 zero is is one rate, uh, it, the law would specify zero, and I don't think it does. And I mean to to get into taxes, I mean. First, Jack, you had your first week here, uh, a busy first week that included a kind of snow day. Uh, any any uh, takeaways from your first week here? Uh, I mean, I, I guess my biggest takeaway is just to be ready for the plan to go totally wrong. I was expecting to watch a bunch of committee meetings, and then there's this uh, big news story that kind of dominated my whole week. Yeah. Uh, I was not ready for tax cuts to be uh, such a prom- prominent uh, storyline the second week of session. Well, the, the the Republican leaders, Dan Hawkins, had promised a quick... Right. And then they they did this process where they took a bill that was held over from last year and just put it in conference. Actually, I think it was already in conference and they, it it was in a different conference committee and they just, they, they they reassigned it to tax and then they gutted it. I think, I think the original bill was on like health insurance for municipal firefighters. Yeah. This was, this was a gut and go, you know, that thing that they, that, that nobody likes. I mean, I was not anticipating having to explain gut and goes and conference committees to Jack so soon in the process. Well, the the thing we need to know, the thing any newcomer needs to know is that there is a process that's spelled out in the rules and uh, there is the loosey-goosey process that's actually used in getting things done and it's full of shortcuts and workarounds and things that can move things a lot faster, including the gut and go. Yeah. I mean, ba- basically the, the schoolhouse rock of Kansas is like the schoolhouse rock anywhere. You uh, have a bill introduced. It goes through the committee. Then it goes to the floor. It could be amended in the committee. It could be amended on the floor. They pass it out. It goes to the other side and repeats that process. And then it goes to the governor and gets signed or vetoed. And conference committees are basically throw away the whole schoolhouse rock thing because we're going to give you a bill number to use as a shell. You insert stuff that has passed one chamber, but we'll make changes to what actually passed the chamber. So the text of it didn't pass either chamber. Yeah. And then we send it back to the House and the Senate, tell them they can't uh, amend it. They can't split it apart. And you get to vote yes or no on the entire package, and if you don't like one piece, then, you're stuck uh, with it, bad. or you vote no, and you get you, come campaign time, you get nailed for voting against the other pieces. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm trying to imagine what what the schoolhouse rock. I I'm just a bill would look like. I'm just a bill. This process is a mess. I'm just I don't a know what's going report. on. I got an I got a new number. I got a facelift. I didn't, you know what what would it be like? Um, anyway, I, mean, I, I think the 
text of the tax bill wasn't even on the line until around the time the Senate started debating it. And the uh, but we- the f- website description of the bill wasn't even updated until today, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, I mean, you could put the text of the tax bill online and it would be very hard to read because it's a bunch of technical language about tax stuff and rates. And so what you, you know, what an ordinary person really wants is the summary. Right. But if you're somebody who expects your lawmakers to read the laws before <laughs> voting on them, <laughs> uh, that probably did not happen in the Senate this week. Oh, uh, I, I'm, sh- I, I would be, I would be surprised if more than a half dozen senators read the text of the bill. I mean, this, and that's not uncommon for anything. This is a, you know, the legislature is a place where where relationships are important. So you've got a colleague you trust and they've read the bill and you talk to them about what's in it. You get a summary from the research department. Revisers can do a summary. You know, the 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 staff does the the partisan staff does a summary, and and you have to trust them. You just, I mean, this notion that uh, I mean, there have been in my tenure here a couple of legislators who's made a point of trying to read everything, but that's a very hard thing to do. Well, thinking of summaries, uh, Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you can remember the summary of the various pieces in this tax bill. Sure. So uh, let's start with the standard deduction increase. Uh, well, not increase. Uh, tying that standard deduction to inflation. Uh, there is the 5.25 single rate uh, tax, which is actually a dual rate tax, which kicks in at 6,000. 150 so, yeah. for single, 12,300. Then plus you get the standard deduction, 3,500 and 8,000 for a married couple filing jointly. So if you're a married couple filing jointly, the first $20,300 of income is basically exempt from the income tax, more if you've got children. And that that's because another piece of it, there's the personal exemption personal, that gets yeah. a $50 increase and then gets tied to inflation. Then there is the uh, privilege tax. Uh, bring that in line with the corporate income tax yeah, for that, financial. That, that's the, uh, yeah, the financial institutions, the bankings and bankers and such that, uh, that's to make up for not getting included in the apex corporate tax apex cut. being the big uh, the stuff uh, economic development here. subsidy for Panasonic to build their new electric battery plant in Kansas City. That law lowered the corporate income tax rate for everybody for each big big uh, subsidy deal, each big giveaway to a corporation this size. And this year we have that the first half percent installment. Yeah. And then the expectation is that the Integra uh, mega project will bring the second half a percent next year. Yep. And uh, I think the last one, or correct me if I'm wrong, is food sales tax uh, being axed in April rather than January. Also the the property tax. Oh, yes. uh, Property tax. How did I forget? Probably everybody's – well – Many people say it's the most hated tax. I don't know for our listeners, but so the property tax might be their favorite piece to be included. Yeah, as much as people hate income taxes, income taxes have never put several thousand screaming angry people on the south lawn of the state house saying, well, the governor won't come out and talk to us. Let's go and go in and talk to him. And 
That was 1989, by the way. Yeah, I was going to ask what decade it was and then realized I could ask what century it was. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, the property tax piece, uh, the state has a 20 mil levy to help fund schools. Uh, they also have an exemption. $40,000 plus inflation, so yeah, it's about so 40. Yeah, it's just over 42,000 now. Uh, This would change it to 100,000. Certain people are uh, also noting that the bill ties it to inflation as if that is a new thing, but it was actually tied to inflation two years ago. Yeah, Uh, it's about for for a person who owns a $100,000 house, it's about, I think, $130 a year in savings. And if you own a $42,000 house, you get zero savings. And if you own a house between $42,000 and $100,000, you have to take the value, the appraised value of your home, subtract uh, the $42,000 of the current exemption, then you divide you multiply it by 0.115 for the assessment rate then you divide it by a thousand for the definition of a mill and then you multiply it by 20 because there are 20 mills and then you get what your property tax basically the levy is two dollars and 30 cents for every one thousand dollars of assess of appraised valuation so and who said journalists can't do math uh anyway yeah uh, so that's that that one is in there because people hate property taxes and there's a sense that they're going up too much and too high and and so this this package i mean sorry sorry to interrupt but there was one other piece that uh we forgot the social security oh yes how could we forget that especially me now that i'm approaching social security Uh, age it's eliminating all state income tax on social security benefits, which there is only a tax on social security benefits. If your adjusted gross income is above $75,000, but sorry, carry on. So that's in there. So what, what, what you have in this bill are uh, the governor, I guess, had a news conference the first day of the session to announce a bipartisan proposal. Uh, Dennis Pyle was in there, the independent who ran for governor, uh, Senators John Dahl and Rob Olson, both Republicans. Dahl is a moderate. Olson is a conservative. We're with there endorsing it, um, signaling that uh, Republican leaders do not have a two-thirds majority um, to override a veto. But it's, it's uh, you know, the, the property tax thing, the Social Security thing, the food sales tax, of course. Um, she embraced all those ideas. And then they tied all of this to the flat tax, the single rate tax, whatever we want to call it. Um, And yeah, uh, Republicans are saying that they took these ideas from the governor's plan and put it with a flat tax and it's a compromise. Well, they're also saying all those ideas are Republican ideas. Right, right. So it's all Republican ideas. So if they're all Republican ideas, is it a compromise? Yeah, uh, mixed messaging coming to well, a the, the Republic, Republicans are clearly testing mess, potential messages for a campaign. I mean, clearly the message is going to be if she vetoes it and the veto sticks and nothing comes of the session, they're going to be out there saying, well, you could have had X, X, and X except for Laura Kelly well, and the Democrats. Well, John, you and I were sitting in the uh – I, I think you went to Senate Republican yes, caucus. Yes, yes, I was there. Uh, well, with me and Jack and other media. And uh, Senator Jeff Longbine, a Republican from Emporia, was the one who 
said, uh, like, I'm going to vote for this, but I'm going to be Captain Obvious, and it's hard to message against the governor. And so how? what's our plan to message this? And, and Senate President Ty Masterson went through the argument that, you know, we're going to tell people that you it, you could have had these benefits but for the governor's veto. The problem they're going to face, of course, is the natural one, which is the governor just gets a lot more attention by the nature of the job than your average legislator. And then, you know, the legislative message is going to be a lot more fractured than the governor's because the governor is one person versus 165. And, I mean, the... The piece about this it's, that, it's not really fair, but, it, you know, you have the same dynamic between the president and Congress. And it, the flat tax is the piece of this that's going to get it vetoed. Yeah. And we now know officially that it will be vetoed, even though it hasn't officially been vetoed. Uh, I think the governor's word choice to us and others in the State House press corps was that variations of, I will never sign a flat tax into law, which technically left the wiggle room of allowing the bill to become law without her signature. But she went on Kansas City Conservative Talk Radio uh, this week and... And said she would veto yes. it outright. Yeah. The, and, and we don't know when that's coming. It might be next week. It might be later. Yeah. The, the thing is, for something major to get done on tax cuts this year, either the Republicans have to back off their flat tax proposal, she has to back off their opposition to it, or they have to do a bill that skirts around that issue. They, you know, they have to put, they have to put the income tax piece in one bill and everything else in another bill, for example, and, and do it that way. So something, there has to be some major movement. Or somehow convince the uh, holdouts that they need to, See the light of their side. Well, that's true. They could do that if the if if Ty Masterson could get one of those three, dis one of those. Uh, you know, it's hard to call Pyle a dissenter since he's not technically a Republican. He is one of the chamber's most conservative members. I I, I don't think uh, they'll get Dennis Pyle to. No. Uh, I, I, come back. It will be it, the, let let me put it this way: to get Dennis Pyle to come back, it will have to be colder in hell than it is here in Topeka right now. Yeah. And I mean, John Dahl uh, is a pretty moderate senator, and uh, I didn't I, they, didn't the three of them sign off on a uh, on a column in the Kansas City Star explaining why they didn't like the the flat tax i mean you you do that so publicly you kind of back yourself into a corner you at least will have a lot of explaining to do if you change your well, mind and i mean and senator olson has already lost some uh committee positions so i i think i and i think the uh not so secret rumor is that neither of them are running for election again yeah so they don't have anything politically to lose in the way that, say, Carolyn McGinn and Alicia Straub, two other Republican senators who have previously flipped on it, they do have something to lose if you then have AFP mailers coming after you. Well, and, and you know, part of the calculation here for anybody is, okay, I don't like that piece of the bill, but there are these other three or four good things in the bill that I, things I think are good. Am I going to vote no and not get anything or am I going to vote yes and and hope 
that my constituents aren't so mad about the one piece I dislike and focus on the, I mean, you know, that is the constant conflict in legislating. Do I accept something that's not what I want by a lot just to get something I think is good in the package or do I reject the whole thing? Well, and, you know, thinking of mailings and messaging to constituents, there was a piece of news last week when uh, campaign finance filings came out that the governor's PAC raised nearly a million dollars in the like six months that it's been, that it's been around. So uh, the governor who has stated that she plans to use her PAC to break the Republican supermajorities, I mean, if you are a vulnerable Republican, you might be even more concerned now about how you're going to message things. Yeah. I mean, clearly her PAC is going to have a lot of money to, to get involved in the in in elections and and either you know statewide campaign to influence them all or targeted races where democrats think their best pickup opportunities are but you know Texas but that's like 11 months yeah, away you yeah know? i mean uh, but but taxes weren't the only thing going on i mean we no had no the Far medicaid expansion bill introduced and that's kind probably of. the last uh it'll actually come up because the leadership isn't giving it a hearing and they're not giving it a floor vote. And unless uh, Republicans side with Democrats to do a procedural move to force a vote, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, that's always dead on arrival. It's yeah. It's always been a long shot to even get a vote uh, in committee. I think the governor is realistic about that. I think she's thinking this will become the big issue. The interesting thing to me is, is that you get all these uh, polls or, or discussions of polls where a large majority of people support Medicaid expansion and have for a long time, and yet then they don't punish Republicans for not getting the bill passed. So, it, it, you know, yes, it's popular, but is it the burning issue that determine somebody's vote or is it just you know are there just places where you just it doesn't matter what kind of republican maga moderate you know from mars even you in some places you're going to win well i mean the the governor uh certainly thinks medicaid expansion is going to make a difference she said so in her state of the state yeah which Brings me to the state of the state. Uh, woo the state yeah, of the state. Jack, uh, you wrote about that, sat there, watched a lot of Democrats give standing ovations to several pieces, and the uh, less enthusiastic applause and occasional standing from Republicans. Yep, and um, actually, while, while we were talking just now, I just um, – her state of the state was focused on rural issues – She's got this pack. Um, I did just want to maybe speculate about the political calculus here, where she's betting that Medicaid expansion has some pull where there are rural hospitals. Um, but it seems like the biggest uphill battle in the state to try and flip rural areas. So I, I just I, I don't know what the political calculus there. And I did just kind of want to throw that question to the well, table. I mean, so early on when when the pack was first announced. Uh, I think they made a point of saying that it would support both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, 
even though the stated goal is breaking the Republican supermajority. And I think that uh, uh, perturbed might be a good word for uh, how Democrats felt well, about I mean, uh, the governor spending money to support Republicans. But that might be the case is support a relatively moderate Republican from a rural area of Kansas who commits to supporting Medicaid expansion against a, a more conservative member who has dead set against it. Yeah. That that's part of the calculus, I think. And, and with a million dollars, you could uh, definitely throw a little to a, a rural race for a primary that might be seeing a $10,000, $20,000 sure. campaign. Sure. And you know, the pack, may may not go away after the 2024 elections and there's a governor's race coming up in 2026 and you know the the issue in a governor's race is if you're a democrat you're not going to win any counties or very uh, the democrats used to be able to win for example ellis county where hayes is and but you're not going to win western kansas counties but you want to keep the gap between you and the republican down so that it it helps your vote total. Right, and I'm from southeast Kansas, and I believe that, I mean, when I was much younger than I am now, uh, I, I southeast Kansas wasn't as... Uh, no. Uh, as Actually, it was... Un- unwinnable for Democrats as it is now. Really what, I, really what appears to have sealed it for Republicans in southeast Kansas is Trump. Um, the, the solidity of rural of rural voters going for Republicans seems to be, it's not totally a post-Trump phenomenon. Republicans have always been strong uh, in Western rural and other rural parts of Kansas. But boy, since Trump, Trump, it seems like those numbers are really big. But I mean, Medicaid expansion wasn't the only rule issue the governor talked about. I I, I think water and uh, 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 roads. Child care, came up um housing did she talk at all about housing there was n- not any housing that i recall see because I, that's I, I an issue it, in rural kansas have. is is the availability of good housing if you're going to lure workers i mean i i do remember that she i in some ways it came across as taking all of the existing priorities the governor has and reframing them in how they would benefit rural kansas i mean the the property tax piece i don't the property tax exemption i don't think anybody's ever talked about it in whether it benefits urban or rural or whatever it's just it, it benefits homeowners yeah. but i remember specifically that the governor mentioned a uh, family from iola which i remember because i'm from iola uh, so two iolans were up there in the gallery standing up uh, yeah you know they used to not do that to, uh, I mean, I, and they didn't do it with the State of the Union. I think the State of the Union did that thing first where they brought in special guests and recognized them. And you do that to make a political point, And now it's trickled down to the states. And uh, I mean, you, you it's nice to have real people cited. Yeah, and, of and, course. and for our listeners who didn't listen to the to, to the state of the state, uh, the governor does have the transcript online. But I think if you went back to it, there'd be several call outs to people in rural Kansas about how specific issues would affect them. Yeah. And I think a big one that I didn't mention was education. Um, Oh yeah. How how could we forget? 
Yeah, that's like the gorilla. That's budgetarily, that's like the gorilla in the room, the big 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of talk about special ed money, right? I uh, a lot of talk. I guess we'll see if there's a lot of doing or not. Well, it's it's interesting that th- it's interesting that the state is having this big debate over tax cuts for two reasons. The first is is that there is a real sense nationally that the window on tax big tax cuts is starting to close because revenues are soft softer than they were. Um, you know, a lot of what states the, these big surpluses in states were fueled by the. In- flux of federal funds and then inflation. Inflation is not gone, but it's starting to slow down. And of course, the federal money is no longer there. Um, and, and of course, there are all kinds of discussions about how the economy is doing. And, and so, so the window may be get for a big, big tax cut may be getting narrower. The second thing is, there are really two huge budgetary needs that that lawmakers and advocates have been discussing for a very long time. And uh, fully funding the state's commitment to special education is one. That is like what? Uh, she's proposing a five-year phase-in to get to the percentage, but it is a lot of money. It's like $300 million, if I'm remembering. Yeah, I think it would be like $75 million in the first year, then that $75 million plus another $75 million in the next, and then you keep doing that for five years. And, and- Yeah, and the other one is the waiting list for in-home services for – uh, people with intellectual and physical disabilities, you know, there are some fa- some families that have been waiting, you know, 10 years for services. And that, that comes with a significant price tag. So you put those two things together, if you were to try to do them all at once, you would probably take the, the full luck for what you can have for a tax cut. You know, th- thinking that I mean, budgeting budgets uh, are uh, the budgets are moral documents as well as spending blueprints. They're uh, there's they're 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 how you outline your priorities. And so what people need to think of when they look at a budget is not only what's in it, but what's not in it. What are the choices being made? Who are the winners and losers? And we all we also got the budget uh, presented to us that first week. And for our state workers here uh, first. The governor wants to put in a $15 minimum wage for state employees. Uh, there's a little under a thousand state employees who don't make $15 right now, uh, and then they want a 5% pay raise for most state employees, and then empl- salaried people at the 24/7 facility. So, like state prisons, for example, uh, would get, I think, a 7.5% raise on top of that 5%. What was the Republican reaction to that $15 an hour minimum wage? Because if you tried that in the private sector here, they the, I mean, there would be a lot of pushback, both from the business community and Republicans. Uh, Representative Troy, they go nuts, basically. Uh, Representative Waymaster, uh, the chair of the House Appropriations Committee, uh, when we talked to him afterward, it he he didn't shut it down uh i mean because it's not a minimum wage affecting the private sector uh, and he seemed uh he seemed open to the idea and he acknowledged you know th- the state has a history of underpaying state employees uh so but the, it, it, he he was open to it but the argument always used to be about that was the pay was lower but the benefits were were better you know up until maybe a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, you know, if you were a state employee, there were some years you didn't have a health insurance premium or, you know, so that stopped. Um, 
and also pension benefits. But now, of course, if you're a new employee, you go into a 401k as opposed to the uh, the traditional long gone defined benefit plan where your benefit at the back end is based on your last couple of years of salary and, and you know, it's guaranteed as opposed to a 401k. And, and so, you know, in the old days, if you had offered $15 an hour to all state employees, that would have some pretty big pension uh, uh, implications. It doesn't now because it's a 401k system for the newest employees. But yeah, that, that is an interesting idea. And of course, across the country, progressive Democrats and labor activists have been pushing for that kind of wage in the private sector. You've seen, does Oregon have something like that? Like, um, it would seem like that Oregon, uh, like a place like commie utopia, Portland would have something like that or bend <laughs> or bend. I wasn't so focused on state issues there. Um, so like a, I'm still not getting because I've only ever had 401ks. What's the oh difference? oh the the substantial difference is that in a defined benefit plan, the employer assumes the risk if the market doesn't go well. They're saying when you get here, you will get this set benefit for the rest of your life. Okay, okay. and it's our problem to pay for it in a 401k. Your benefit depends on what your in, what investments have done in market, so it's fluid. And so, of course, if you're the worker, as long as the defined benefit is good, that's the one you prefer because it's guaranteed. But if you're the employer slash government, that that gives you the risk if the market tanks then you've got to figure out how to come up with the money okay. to keep the, the pension plan solvent. But yes, I, I'm not, I mean, yeah, I'm old enough that I, that I have a defined part of my pension is defined benefit. And, and that's, uh, th- that would be almost unheard of today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my guess is there are still some government employees who have them, uh, you know, police fire and big city, some places like that. But um, no, it's very unusual now. Yeah, I can't say for Oregon. I don't know. Okay, you're a little bit away, uh, a little bit of a ways away from retirement. But you should yeah. be thinking about it now. I'm, you should be planning. I've got the max contribution going. Good, so, good, yeah. good, good. You're 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 doing the right thing. But I haven't for the past three years. Uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Is there anything? What else? What well, else? well, I was going to say, we, we, we can uh, look ahead. Uh, we don't know if we're going to get a veto of the tax cut this coming week or if it will take longer. Uh, there's uh, The so, legislature has 10 calendar days to get her the bill. And then the governor has another set number of days ten, to do something 10 calendar it. days also. And then a veto override attempt has to happen within 30 days after she sends the messages to uh, – it'll go to the House because it's a House bill. Yeah, so next week might return to the regularly scheduled uh, take your pick of committee meeting that you want to watch and sure. try to find what's interesting. Uh, we do have – the Kansans for Life March for Life on Wednesday. Sure. We're expecting uh, some interesting talks. I, you know, I was uh, last year, I was joking with uh, 
some Kansans for life folks that, you know, now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, do they really have to do their thing in January when it's cold? Of course, if they pegged it to the anniversary of the Dobbs decision, it'd be June when it can be very hot. So, uh, you know, too bad there's not an abortion-related anniversary, say, in April. But then you might have a tornado. Yeah. Uh, And then... We don't know when Judge Teresa Watson will rule on the driver's license no. uh, case. I, of, of course, that temporary injunction hearing was scheduled for the first week of session. Yes. Uh, I, on that Wednesday. The, the let, judge seemingly didn't care about the, the, uh, the ability of state house reporters to deal with both. Yeah, fortunately, uh, I'm not uh, sure that's a judicial principle at all. Yeah. But yeah, fortunately, we at the Topeka Capital Journal have a two-person state house team, so Jack was able to uh, prep for state of the state while I spent like six and a half hours in a courtroom where I couldn't use my phone and uh, had to take pen and paper notes. I I have did your hand cramp? It did. Uh, we, we have. Our, our notebooks are 70 pages and I thought that would be enough and it was not. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, boy, that's, that's pretty old school. The courts are the last bastion of old school note taking. Well, uh, part the of it was judges like to say there's only one transcript and it's the one the court reporter does, which, uh, it, there was a moment when attorney general, Chris Kobach, I think he was reading from a document. So he, uh, his, uh, pace sped up a little bit and the yeah, court can, reporter asked him to slow down. Yeah, that happens to him sometimes. He gets going and he starts talking quickly uh, and, he, and he has to slow down for the court reporter. Yeah. But, but the reason there was no tech allowed in the courtroom was there are some, uh, some of the interveners are transgender Kansans who have their, uh, who are in the case anonymously. Uh. And the judge denied our request for cameras in the courtroom and for audio recording and also said no phones allowed uh, to protect. So you couldn't even anonymity. bring your phone into we, the we courtroom? We were allowed to bring it in, but uh, Judge Watson said that if she sees it, she is taking it and is going to hold on to it for longer than you want me to, and you may be held in contempt. Oh. And the order uh, extended to the elevators. So I know that John, you and I, I, I we have in the past taken photos in the hallway, well, but it, now it, they're getting more specific about it, not allowing them it, in the in hallway. In my story, I have a photo from the last time we were at the courthouse where we are in the hallway. And I think the elevators are in the background. Uh, and I, did think you the, get in trouble? The, the, did they uh, think it was a live photo? No, I mean, I, I think I had in the cut line, like, not exactly these words, but basically this is an old photo from the hallway where we were not allowed to take photos this time around. Yes. So the substance of the hearing, what, what, uh, what did you hear, Jason? Uh, So I heard lots of minutia about driver's licenses and how the department of revenue uh, works and not, not the stuff of LA law, right? No. Do you, I, do you know what LA law was? No, it was a TV show back I mean, in the I, day. I've seen several uh, lawyer shows. Yeah. Uh, the Always good, more exciting. The, the than good wife really and is. the good fight uh, were good binges uh, last year. Um, Did, were there any Taylor Swift songs in any of them? There should have been. So. Anyway, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. I'm taking uh, it off track. I, I mean, 
for me, it was interesting because I have been in court hearings before, but I have never actually been in a full. I, it, it was a, kind of like a mini trial. Yeah, it was in, in effect. It, it is the trial. Yeah. Uh, and however the judge rules, it's going to be appealed. Yes. Uh, the Kobach presented law enforcement. The state present on I mean, both sides, like their the way the testimony went from revenue. Uh, the state also presented somebody from Highway Patrol, uh, and and then transgender Kansans testified about the impact on their own lives of getting gender marker changes on driver's licenses and what it would be like to no longer have that. Uh, and there's a bit of a time crunch because one of the trans Kansans uh, who has testified in the state house before their license expires when they turn 21 this summer. Yes. Uh, so the, there, there is a time crunch there. Yeah, and as you said, this will this ultimately is probably going to be settled by the Kansas Supreme Court mm-hmm. uh, on state constitutional grounds. However, many months from now, and, and there was, I think, uh, the whole hour before the start of the hearing. Uh, well, I should say the start of the hearing was basically delayed an hour first because motions were supposed to be argued the day before, but there was a snow day and then the motions took an hour for them to settle disputes over things like who could testify as an expert witness, Yeah, uh, those... which, which matters because they're setting the record that is going to be the record on appeal. Right. And the, the, uh, the appellate courts, the Supreme court have, have to base their decisions on the record they have, not the record they want. Yeah. And, and, one minor thing, looking forward, uh, I'm curious to see if the parking garage elevator gets fixed. Uh, I, uh, it was Wednesday when I was walking out, and uh, a security officer said that they had just gotten a call that somebody was stuck in the elevator. And So you're wondering when the elevator will go from zero to hero, to get an Art <laughs> Disney reference. Yes. Uh, uh, that That's... Hercules. Yes. Yeah. Uh, underrated, uh, underrated Disney animated film, by the way. Yeah. And, and I personally found it interesting that the day after somebody was reportedly trapped in the elevator, the, uh, there was an RFP put out for elevator maintenance at the state house. Apparently it's, uh, a coincidence which I believe because a 50-page RFP going out less yeah, than a day. Yeah, the bureaucracy does not move that yeah. quickly. And, and I have since been told that uh, it is unknown whether anybody was ever stuck in the elevator because by the time they got the doors open, nobody was in there. Well, well I, and see, I'm curious about that because if you're stuck in the elevator, really the only way to get out is to like go through the roof and then – Pry open the doors to the, I mean. Yeah, or, or it could just be the elevator was so slow and after a five-minute uh, span of not working, it finally moved. Or well, a span that felt like five minutes, and then they were able to get out. Yeah, uh, but, but, but there is a sign in front of the elevator closest to the staircase that says elevator closed for me. Well, back in the day, way back in the day, the uh, Supreme Court was coming over for the state of the judiciary and the elevator stalled so that the floor of the elevator was about a foot and a half below the floor of the the third floor. And the justices had to climb out and it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> you know, plus it probably got hot in their black robes. Uh, 
Uh, well, we could use some warmth around here these days. We sure could. It is just, you know, the worst thing about cold weather, well, it's not the worst thing, but I'm sure there are worse things, but uh, my tires tend to, I get low, low uh, tire pressure warnings in my car and uh, the fine folks at Hyundai decided that that's so important that it will stay there. You can you cannot get rid of it until you fill your tires well, up. As a former owner of a Hyundai, uh, there's a bigger issue with them. <laughs> yeah, well, was that yes? You have explained that bigger issue, right? <laughs> yes. 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 Was that was that that was that little theft problem was when uh, the Taylor Swift concert it, it in was, Kansas it, City. It right? was. I wasn't at the Taylor but Swift it was, concert. I was it was a not a Swifty, obviously, who stole it because Swifties would be too busy listening to her music. That's right. Uh, and I should say, if any of our listeners happen to be or know the person who may or may not have been stuck in the elevator and found a way out. Go, go talk to uh, Jason I, I would like to hear. Uh, he would like to hear of your adventures. Yeah. In the meantime, stay warm. Uh, watch the Chiefs. Don't complain when Taylor Swift gets on. Uh, enjoy some Disney. Yeah. Stay warm. Have a good weekend, y'all. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.